At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Overflow, from Him, through us, for all, as we explore Paul's letter to the Church of Corinth. Together, we'll focus our attention on the gifts of God and see that we're not meant to keep His blessings to ourselves, but to live as vessels of His abounding grace. Maybe you noticed that our, our songs today focus so much of our attention on who He is and what He's done for us. The fact that He is not only our King eternal, but that He has been so extraordinarily faithful to us. And how many out there are grateful that you have received His faithfulness, that you've been blessed by His grace, amen? And as we saw in the testimony of young Reagan today, how many praise God that others are receiving that grace and coming to know his faithfulness? And that needs to mark our, our prayer today. I'm really wanting to call us at this point in our worship gathering to be a people of prayer. Um, our nation needs a church that is a prayerful church. Our, our churches need pastors who pray. I want us to pray, but before we pray, I want to submit a prayer request to you. Typically, uh, as pastors, we take prayer requests from you, and we pray on your behalf. But today, I'm going to ask you to pray for me. And I want you to pray that God would just increase my burden for prayer. Over the last several weeks, I've just been sensing that maybe that might be the greatest contribution I can make to our church family, is to pray for our leaders and to pray for our families to go to Christ on your behalf. So pray for me towards that end. But as we gather together, it's not in a vacuum today. If you're like me, you've been watching the news all week. You know how broken our nation is, how many are grieving this week because of pain, because of heartache, heartbreak. Cities like Minneapolis and Indianapolis and Chicago, they certainly are a reminder to us that our nation needs Jesus desperately, that people everywhere desperately need Jesus. And that's why we gather, to know him and to make him know. And so I'm gonna ask you to join me right now. Let's do it right now. Let's go before the Lord on behalf of our country, believing that if we ask anything according to his will, that he hears us and that he is a God who answers prayer. How many believe that, that he is a God who answers prayer? Let's pray together. Father, we come as humble heart, with humble hearts as your sons and your daughters before our Abba Father. Thank you that you invite us into your throne room of grace. Thank you that you give us the privilege of making our petitions known to you. Today, we don't come before you on our behalf only, but we come before you really on behalf of a generation that is hurting, the Lord full of anxieties, overwhelmed by brokenness, Lord, marked by depression and division and outrage and anger and all of the things that you said would be a part of a fallen world. But I pray, the Lord, that our brokenness would be a reminder of our neediness, that we need a Savior. And I'm praying, the Lord, that you would just make yourself made known mightily in this nation, to this generation. And that in places like Minneapolis and Indianapolis and Chicago, that you would bring healing. We admit, God, that the brokenness we see in our cities is beyond our human abilities to fix. It's beyond that, God. We need supernatural intervention. 
but we thank you that you so loved the world, Father, that you gave your only Son so that whosoever should believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Lord, we're praying for a mighty move of your Spirit throughout our nation. We're praying, the Lord, that by your Spirit, you would reconcile lost men and women to you in Christ, and that in Christ, we might be reconciled one to another. Lord, you are the one who tore down the wall of hostility that existed between Jew and Gentile. And if you did it for them, you can do it for us. And so God, we pray that you would do it by your might and for your glory. In Jesus' mighty and matchless name we pray. And all of God's people said, amen and amen. Come on and give God praise today, amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. How many thank God for our praise team and their blessing us uh, today, amen? Uh, they'll be back again, depending on how long I preach. It is so good to be back with you. Many of you know last week I was away on a family vacation, much needed family vacation, and I was reminded of how much of a blessing it is to be a part of a church that affords my family that privilege because while I was away, bumped into a um, uh, uh, employee of the hotel uh, we were at and uh, just happened to mention that they had bumped into another pastor who had mentioned that their family was taking their first vacation in a decade. And uh, I recognize a lot of pastors uh, don't really have the opportunity to get away. And so I am simply grateful and I want to communicate that to our team and to our church family. But it's always great we get a chance to go away and my wife has family in Southern California, so that's where we went. And the wonderful thing about California is that when we're there, we get a chance to talk to our family about all of the major things in life. We talk about parenting and marriage and all that's happening in our culture. Uh, and, and some of them remember that I used to be an investment advisor, so, so often what comes up is the question of uh, what stocks are you recommending and what's your recommendation for uh, financial success and, and health, in which I often respond, that is not my full-time focus. By the way, I'm a pastor now, and uh, I'll remind them of that and encourage them to uh, seek out advice in other places. But I always get nervous about that because I know that the number one place people go for financial advice is Google. That's right. That they're going to Google it. And the problem with Googling it is that you're going to get a mixed bag. You're going to get some good stuff and you're going to get some bad stuff. For example, if you were to Google uh, what are the keys to financial success or financial health, uh, you would probably find lists that gives you things like budgeting and diversifying your investments and saving a portion of your income for the future. And all those things are great. But you know what you would not find on those lists most probably is an admonishment or encouragement towards generosity, giving to others. It's as if generosity or giving to others is not an important factor in having financial peace or having financial joy. If you do find it on a list, typically it's way towards the bottom. Now, you might think it's all of those uh, backslidden and sinful financial advisors that we need to pray for. But the reality is, if you were to Google what it takes to have spiritual health or a vibrant spiritual life, you would find things that are great, like uh, Bible studies and prayer and gathering together for worship, and all those things are critical and needed. That's why we're here right now. But you probably wouldn't find generosity on those lists either. 
What's the problem? It's, it's not that we don't think generosity is a cool thing or a wonderful thing. We just kind of think that generosity is a luxury but not a necessity. Last week, one of our elders came and blessed us with the word, uh, Abe Philip. And one of the things that Abe just talked to us about is this explosive joy that you and I experience when we become givers, that we experience explosive joy. How many want to experience explosive joy in your life? How many desire that? Praise God. That's a good thing, right? And it comes through this sense of generosity, and that is why I am so excited about our current series. The current series that we're in is called Overflow, and, and the subtitle is so important. That, that first title, Overflow, gives you a picture of the type of life that God wants us to live, this sense of overflowing joy and peace and, and blessing in our lives. But the subtitle is critical. It, it simply is, From Him to Us for All. That's how we should think about everything in our lives, that everything in our lives is a gift from him to us for all, that God has blessed us so that we might be a blessing. We've been reading through this book, The Treasure Principle, Randy Alcorn. It's in the lobby. Get it. If you are watching online, you can go to woodsidebible.org, and I think it's backslash generosity. Uh, you can find it there as well. But, but one of the things that Randy Alcorn does is he quotes in his book, all these wonderful quotes, but he quotes Jim Elliott. Some of you have heard of the missionary Jim Elliott, and he is famous for this quote. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain what he cannot lose. That's exactly what generosity is about. It's recognizing that all this world's goods, my time, my talent, my treasure, are things that I can't keep. You can put it all in the casket with you if you want, but it's still not going with you on the other side. The reality is, is that the only thing that I, I cannot lose is the eternal relationship that I can have with Jesus Christ. And so why does God give us all things? The Bible tells us in James 1 that every good and perfect uh, gift is from the Father above, that everything he's given us is a gift but why? Well, Paul says it this way. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Everything that you've been given is so that you might grow in godliness, knowing him, and so that you might help others to grow in godliness, that they might know him as well. This, my friends, is how we change the world. We change the world through generosity. I want to read to you a quote, and I love this quote. I've read it to our church family uh, before. It comes from the fourth century. It's from a Roman emperor. His name was Julian, and he hated Christianity. He was a worshiper of the Roman gods, but he saw this phenomenon happening in his day in the fourth century in Rome that there were masses of people that were leaving the worship of Roman gods to worship uh, this Jewish Messiah named Jesus. And so he writes an essay, and the essay is simply entitled, Against the Galileans. And the Galileans were a way of him describing the Christians. And he says this about the Christians. I love it. He says, their cause has been specially advanced through the loving service rendered to strangers and through their care for the burial of the dead. It is a scandal that there is not a single Jew who is a beggar and that the godless Galileans care not only for their own poor, but for ours as well. 
I love it. He's, he's burning in his, in his heart against Christianity, but he knows that he can't stop it because they're just too doggone generous. I pray that that would be the reputation of our church. I pray that that would be the reputation of Christians worldwide, that we would be known not only for caring for our own, but for caring for even the stranger, caring for our enemies. You know, love is seen greatest. Generosity is greatest on display, not when we give to those who can reciprocate or those who we already like. doesn't take a special move of God for that, but when we give to those who maybe we haven't even met face to face. And that's exactly what we're studying here in 2 Corinthians. Join me there, chapter 8 in your Bible, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, continuing on in this journey of the story of the Corinthian church. They have pledged to give a gift, a financial gift to the church in Jerusalem. So there were believers or followers of Christ in a city called Corinth, this port city, not near Jerusalem, kind of far from it, that had pledged to give to the saints in Jerusalem, people in Jerusalem. Why? It was because they felt their burden. They felt their burden because Jerusalem was going through um, economic, severe economic challenges. And this is always the case for the body of Christ. In every generation, there are going to be groups of believers who are uh, blessed to live in uh, parts of the world where there's prosperity and industry and abundance. And then there's going to be groups of believers that are facing severity of heart, hardship. And what God has intended in his economy is that we would care one for another, that we would show the world that when you are in Christ, your heart is so transformed that you rise above the narrowness of self-interest and you really begin to live life when you care for others. And this is exactly what's on display now, verse number one kind of sets the context for the whole chapter. Look at what it says. He says, Paul writing, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God. Stop. Full stop right there. This is the foundational principle of generosity. It is understanding the grace of God. What do you need to know about the grace of God? You need to know that it is the unmerited favor of God. It is the undeserved love of God poured out upon us. So if your mindset is, I have been able to amass my success because of my strong hand or because of my sharp mind or because of my ingenuity, you won't get grace. Grace says this, I am what I am because of God's mercy and because of God's kindness and because God has been gracious to me. How many believe that? That you are what you are because of his grace. Amen? Now, when you have that, that heart, then you excel at giving. That's the point of the verses we're going to look at today. The big idea of today's message is God has called us to excel at giving. Here's the tension, my friends. How do you excel at something that your culture and maybe even churches in our generation deprioritizes? Maybe doesn't uh, uh, disparage, but looks at it more as a luxury than a necessity, Paul doesn't look at it that way. Jesus doesn't look at it that way. They see generosity as a key to experiencing the overflow of God's joy and abundance. That if you're going to have spiritual vibrancy, if you're going to really come alive and experience the full joy of Jesus, 
is when you recognize that everything in your life is a gift from him to us for all. Amen? Amen. So why should we excel in giving? Well, I'm glad you asked. Paul gives us three reasons, verses 7, 8, and 9. Now, what does it mean to excel? Before I read verse 7, to excel means to be excellent at something. He says he wants us to be excellent at giving or to be abundant at it, to go over and above, above and beyond. He wants us to be not only generous, but to be known as excellent in it and being above and beyond. Pause for a moment. What does it mean in your life to be above and beyond in your generosity? To me, that means to keep growing, to never stop. It means that I need to keep challenging myself to say, Chris, what's the next step in your journey of generosity? Well, the first reason why we should excel is because excelling and giving displays God's grace. So look at verse number seven. But as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you, See that you excel in this act of grace also. Paul continues this theme that their gift to the Jerusalem church is an act of grace, but here's the rub of it all. They have made a pledge that they had not yet fulfilled. How many have ever done that before? I know I'm guilty of that. There's been times, much to my shame, that I've promised someone that I was going to do something for them, some act of kindness or some act of generosity, and then life gets in the way. Maybe I get distracted or busy or maybe self-interest gets in the way. You know, one of the other neat little points in Randy Alcorn's little book, uh, Treasure Principle, get this. He says this, it blew my mind that the average American spends six hours a week shopping for themselves. The average American spends six hours a week. Now, based off of the Amazon vans I see driving up and down my block, I think my neighborhood is blowing that number out the water. I'm convinced the Amazon guy knows me by name. Now, the reality is, is that we often don't fulfill on our promises or desire to be generous people, not because we don't have the ability to, but because self-interest often gets in the way. But what I love about Paul's tone here, maybe you get it, is he wants them to enjoy the privilege of fulfilling this gift to the Jerusalem church, but he doesn't beat them up over it. He, he does not berate them, but rather he encourages them tremendously. You know, we're all called to discipleship, and the, 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 the whole thing of discipleship is helping someone to grow in Christ's likeness. You're called to be a disciple, meaning you're called to grow, to be more like Christ in obedience to the word, but you're also called to make disciples, to walk with people. And in your toolbox, there'll be two tools that you have to help people to grow in Christ. One will be challenge, and you need to challenge people sometimes to, hey, uh, pull up your huggies, you got to get about God's business. But then there's, there's another tool, and that is encouragement. Sometimes you're just meant to encourage people. Now, when you only challenge, then Christianity becomes pharisaical, it becomes punitive. When you only encourage, Christianity becomes weak and it becomes enabling. Master disciplers know when to challenge, when to encourage. Paul is uh, good at challenge. You can read through the New Testament, you'll see him challenge on many occasions. But in this moment, he reaches into his toolbox and he pulls out encouragement. And it's almost as if it's like a parent talking to a teenager and saying to them, listen, I know you can do this because you're so great at so many things. Look at what he says in verse 7. 
He says, you're already excelling in everything. You're excelling in faith, in speech, in knowledge. These are all spiritual gifts that they're doing great in. They are people of faith. They excel at faith. They can face daunting circumstances and be convinced and believe that God is greater. How many excel at faith? How many believe that God is greater than your circumstances and your difficulties? How many believe that? Amen? They excel not only in faith, but in speech. They're really good at declaring and articulating the truth of God's word. This was a group of people that could share the gospel. They excel in speech. They also excelled in knowledge. They, they not only knew God's word, but they were in tune to the leading of the spirit of God. They, they knew the will of God. This was an excellent church. And he encourages them. I know you can get an A in math because I've seen you do it in science and English. I know you can excel at this because you've excelled already in so many areas. And then he goes on to say that you are also excellent in all earnestness and in our love for you. So see that you excel in this act of grace also. Just as you have excelled in all other areas, excel in generosity. When I think of our church family and our fellowship, I think about all the areas where we excel in serving the world. We are a servant-hearted group of people in preaching and declaring the gospel, Woodside Bible Church. Bible is our middle name. When I think about all the areas where we excel, even in worship, you just heard it. I mean, God has blessed us to be able to excel in our passion of worship and praise to him and fighting for the voiceless and the weak, we excel at doing that. May we also excel at generosity. May we be a generous people. It's as if Paul is saying sentiment isn't enough, we have to turn sentiment into action. You know, one of uh, my friends over the years that I've been able to develop a friendship with is Gary Chapman. You may know him as the author of The Five Love Languages. How many have ever read that, The Five Love Languages? You and millions of people around the world. And I joke with Gary and say, how do you know it's not six, Gary? How'd you get to five, right? But whatever the formula, he, he's at five. But if you ask Gary Chapman about the five love languages, you know, words of affirmation and, uh, you know, affection and physical touch and all that stuff, he will tell you that probably the one that ranks above them all is acts of kindness. That, that people want to see legs to words. That you can say, I love you all you want, but often people won't feel that love until it's combined with action. And so, my friends, I pray that love for us, generosity for us, will not just be words, but it will be actions that demonstrate his grace. And when we give, we are displaying to the world that we have received grace because from abundance you have received and from abundance you can give. You cannot give if you have not first received. But here's the rub of it all is that I was not deserving of grace, neither were you, but we have received it in abundance, not for us to be a dam that stops up the flow of it, but for us to be a current that allows that flow to extend to our families, our coworkers, our friends, our neighbors. We're recipients of grace called to distribute that grace out to the world from him to us for all. Amen? Amen? All right, then he goes on. 
And he explains to us that excelling in giving also displays genuine love. Look at verse number eight. He says, I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. See his gentleness? You see his gentleness? He says, I don't say this as a command. I could. I'm an apostle. I could say this by way of command. I could issue a verdict. I could command that you obey. But I don't. Instead, I encourage you. I encourage you to recognize that a test is before you. That's what the word prove here actually means in the Greek. It means test. Now, there's two types of tests throughout the New Testament. There are tests that are given to you by an enemy with the intent of discrediting you, destroying you, exposing your weakness. But there are this other set of tests given by a friend, knowing that there is value within you, meant to bring that out to approve of you knowing that there's already goodness in you to approve of you. God gives us these tests or opportunities to be generous in order for us to prove the genuine love that is already in us. Paul is already affirming, I know there is genuine love in you. You just need to bring it out. Now, how many remember your seasons as a teenager that before your parents could finish giving you some advice, your comment was, I know? Anybody experience that? And uh, my mother is quick to remind me that diapers spelled backwards is repaid. (laughs) Think about that for a moment. And so now I have kids of my own, and I'm experiencing, before I can get the advice out of my mouth, what do I hear? Dad, I... I know. But as a parent, our job is to remind them faithfully of what life has taught us through pain and through experience, and that is you don't know something unless you've applied it, unless you're doing it. And what Paul wants them to experience is really knowing that they have genuine love, not just because they've read it, not just because they affirm it, not just because they've prayed about it or sang about it in the song, but because their actions demonstrate their genuine love. I thought about the application point of that for our own church. And you know, one of the things that my wife learned when we joined the Woodside family pretty quickly is that Woodside is pretty passionate about our global partners, about missionaries. Uh, We love helping the gospel spread around the world. As a matter of fact, last night I spent time calling some of our missionaries just to let them know that we love them. I got a chance to talk to one of our missionaries last night, Mano Daniel, and we prayed together and he shared with me about uh, what's going on in India, both the challenges that are there beyond what we could even imagine and the opportunities of how the gospel is spreading. Got a chance to call Aka John in Thailand. And, and my goal in all of this is just to simply let them know that we're thinking about you, that as you guys are facing all that we face here with COVID and all of the pandemic, and even more because of some of the unique challenges you have there, I want you to know that your brothers and sisters in Christ here in the U.S., we are praying for you. You are on our hearts. But what was more awesome was that I was able to say to them, this isn't just sentiment, but tomorrow I get a chance to stand before our people and talk to them about a practical way that they can express this, going from sentiment to action. 
Maybe you got your bulletins as you came in today. I want to talk about an insert in your bulletin. I want you to go in your bulletin and pull this out. And while you're pulling out your Team Woodside bulletin, I want to invite up a friend of mine. Ryan Krogi is going to come. He's a part of Team Woodside. Can you give Ryan a big, big hand as he comes to join me on stage today? I, I love this brother because he inspires me to... Uh, push away the Big Mac and get about God's business of being healthy and fit, amen? And uh, I love his passion. Um, and uh, Ryan helps to uh, be a leader in Team uh, Woodside. And maybe you have uh, heard of Team Woodside, but this is a group of, of runners. Uh, some ride bikes. Uh, some might even walk. Uh, but they're doing it for a purpose. Look at what it says on your, your little insert here. It says, we run because it matters because they matter. On Team Woodside, we run to raise funds that sponsor at-risk children in Thailand and in India. I just want to give Ryan the opportunity. Brother, I know you love uh, fitness. I know you love running and, and, and all of those things, but talk about your passion and why you do it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, all of us have the opportunity to run, get fit, be healthy on your own or with whomever you want to. But what drew me to Team Woodside was, was really the purpose. It, it was the group of Woodsiders and even non-Woodsiders, believers and even non-believers coming together so that we could be able to show the love of Christ and have others see what uh, God is doing around the world through us, through Woodside. And it's the children that we get to see on a regular basis. So it's not raising the funds for uh, a purpose that you can't see overseas, you actually, when you sign up for a runner on Team Woodside, you get to see the child that you are sponsoring, or children that you are sponsoring, if you choose to uh, sponsor more than one. And you get to hear their story, see their story, see them develop, see them grow. And over time, you can sponsor the same children every year. And it is just such a joy to see what God is doing through us, through our physical ability to either walk or run one mile or 26.2 to be able to help these international kids at risk that really need it. Yeah, I love it. And, and the thing that's really sweet about it is that when you sign up, you're saying, yeah, I'm going to uh, be in this event. And again, some run, some ride bikes, some, some walk. It's plans for every level of fitness. But look at your, your handout again. It says, we sponsor um, 80 children in need in Thailand. And here's what they're going to get. They're going to get food, clothing, health care, but most importantly, access to the gospel. How many get excited about that? That they're gonna get that uh, and, and Jesus. And then it says that we provide help for 15 girls uh, in India who've lost their parents to AIDS, meeting her physical and spiritual needs with the long-term goal of adoption. I, I think it's sweet that you get a chance to sign up. And if I, if I know this to be, be true, that some people run with their, the picture of their, their child right there on their jersey, don't they? Right. You get, uh, like I said before, you get a story of the child, you get pictures of the child or children that you're going to sponsor. And a lot of the runners will put and pin those pictures on the back of their jersey as a reminder of the purpose and the reason why they are putting their bodies through this all summer and then finally on the marathon day. Whether, again, you're running a mile, 5K, half marathon, or a full 26.2, there's a plan for everything. And it's just awesome to see the, the, the smile on these kids' face despite the adversity that they've been put through. 
Yeah, well, absolutely. Beautiful brother, I appreciate you. How many thank God for Ryan and, uh, and Team Woodside? Listen, there are gonna be a few folks in the lobby. He'll be at the center desk out there. You won't miss the jersey. Also online, you can sign up. Why do I bring this up? I bring this up because this may be one practical way for you to put love into action. Again, it's not just about sentiment. A lot of us desire to be generous people. How many want to be generous people? How many desire? I appreciate the three hands that are up right now. Praise, praise God. How many desire to be a generous person? We, we all should, right? Uh, but we look for opportunities to do that. And maybe today the opportunity that's presented to you is to say, man, I want to make a difference in the life of one of these 95 kids, maybe in Thailand, maybe in India, making a difference in their lives simply by running or walking or displaying genuine love. Let's look at one last verse, and then we'll go home today, and that is verse number nine. Now, verse number seven tells us that uh, excelling in giving displays grace. Verse number eight tells us excelling in giving displays genuine love. But verse number nine tells us excelling in giving displays the gospel. And so I just want to just drive this home. Verse number nine, look at what it says. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Think about what he just said. It is one of the most shocking verses in all of Scripture if you fully understand it. It says this, that the king of glory, Jesus, who was in heaven, surrounded by glory, came to the ghettos of earth so that he might be able to serve us because we had a sin debt that we could not repay. So what the, Christ, what the cross represents is the greatest debt cancellation ever known to humanity. Jesus sacrifices himself on that cross so that you and I might be reconciled to God. He pays off your account and my account and all of the accounts of humanity by his grace through his love and mercy on that cross. How many praise God for that? Now here's what's wonderful and mind-boggling and astounding about it all is that he gave up everything according to Philippians chapter 2. He emptied himself, took on the form of a servant, sacrificed himself so that we might live. Think about it in these terms. Imagine if you opened the newspaper today or read on your, on your news outlet online that Elon Musk or, that's the Tesla guy, if you don't know, or Jeff Bezos, that's the Amazon guy, if you don't know, they, they just imagine if they announced they had given up all of their wealth, they had emptied themselves of all of their wealth, and that they were going to spend the rest of their lives living in a poor neighborhood and serving the people in that neighborhood. How will we respond to that? Now, some might commend them, a few, but most people would say, what's really going on? Most of us would think they need to see a psychologist. Who gives up millions, and for them even more than that, who gives that up so they can move into a poor neighborhood and just simply serve? But do you know what you just read? That Jesus, who has infinitely more than Elon Musk will ever experience, Jesus, who has infinitely more than what Jeff Bezos has ever seen, that Jesus gave all of that up so that you and I might know the grace of a loving God. My friends, that 
is the greatest act of generosity. That's the gospel. That's the good news. That's the good news that you and I get a chance to tell the world. So when you are generous, you are spreading the good news of God's love in Jesus displayed on the cross and the offer of his generous grace to those who need hope. What does our world need? What does Chicago and Minneapolis and Indianapolis and Detroit and all of the world, what do we need? We need hope. And where is that hope found? In Jesus. And how does that message get out around the world? Through the gospel. And so I encourage you, let's be generous so that we can experience the explosive joy of Jesus. And I've preached too long, so that means there won't be an end song but I can pray us out. So let's stand to our feet. And as we get ready to close, I just wanna encourage you to not only be generous, but invite your family on this journey of generosity together with you as well. Maybe you can grab the book on your way out and uh, encourage your heart towards that. Maybe you wanna see the Woodside, Team Woodside, and uh, learn more about that. But let's take it from sentiment to action. Most importantly, and this is why we've gathered, all of this is about giving your life to Jesus. And if you've not done that, that's where you need to start. If you're in this room, don't get this close to salvation and leave and miss it. Don't get this close to a blessing and miss it. Make sure you stop at the front. One of our friends will pray with you. Uh, or again, at the information desk in the lobby. If you are online, we love you. Just type connect right now. Even as tears might be flowing down your face or kids might be crazy all around you, just type connect if you know you need Jesus, his love and his mercy and grace. Let's pray. Father, thank you for how good you are to us. Lord, as we go, may we go as a generous people and may our generosity display your grace, spread the gospel, affirm our love for one another and for the world. And may it be a reminder that everything in our life is a gift from you to us for all. In Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless, have a great week. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.